It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. How easy is it to make a comedy sketch about Shaq go viral? How Neanderthal was the coaching back in the 80s? Can comedy give us better insight into coaching sports? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today I am excited to bring on the show Ted Alexandro, who is a stand-up comedian from New York City and who's also been on Conan, Comedy Central, and tours with Jim Gaffigan. So, Ted, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and giving us a, a unique perspective on basketball and comedy. Oh, thanks for having me, Nick. I'm excited that we could do this. Well, I can't, you know, this is random where somebody tweeted out a, a bit of yours and it was a very short bit about that related to Shaquille O'Neal. And I watched it and I just sort of felt compelled to tweet to you and you got right back to me. Thank you. That was really nice of you. Um, oh, no, it, was, it was cool to like just I love those kind of random connections. So when I got your message, I was like, oh, this is this is perfect. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I, I felt like, I, you know, the compulsion is there. I usually try to not act on my compulsions, but this one was there. And I, and I thought, what was the, what could happen? So, you know, I thought we could quickly play the, the clip uh, or a piece of the clip just so the, uh, the people listening can get a handle on what, you, what your thing was. And then we can discuss after the, we come back a little bit about how you the genesis of this. That sounds great. My fiance and I are getting married this October. <laughs> She is in her very early 30s, and I am in my late 40s. They say a woman's sexual prime is her 30s, so she is in her sexual prime, and I am not. <laughs> I'm past my prime. Like, do you remember when Shaq played for the Celtics? That's me. He didn't look like himself anymore. He had a hard time getting up and down the court. Some nights he was really an embarrassment. And I bet there were nights where Shaq's teammates got very angry at Shaq and said, like, Shaq, do you even want to play with us? Do you have any passion for the game anymore? Do you care? And I'm sure Shaq was like, no, guys, it's not that at all. I love you. It's just that I'm a little older now. It takes me a little longer to warm up. Maybe if you could just fucking be a little patient. Shaq probably said to them, so, you know, I think the, the genius of comedy tends to, to be, for me, the best stand-up is when you can be saying something in, its, in, in one sense, using, a, I guess, a metaphor in the other, but everybody knows what you're saying, and it, it just keeps getting more and more accurate, and more, more, better and better, and more clear what you're trying to really say. So how hard was that bit to come up with when you were writing it? Uh, well, hard is an interesting choice of words considering the bit, but yeah, it was, it was <laughs> like, it was, I think it was kind of like, how do you talk about a subject that is personal and kind of vulnerable, you know, like getting older and kind of dealing with uh, erectile dysfunction issues or things of that nature or, you know, like, how do you make that funny and about it in, in a vulnerable way? Um, so yeah, I was just, I was, 
the way that I is I'll sit down and kind of just journal, get things down. So somehow as I was writing about this issue, uh, you know, I'm married for coming up on a year now, um, happily married. But yeah, this has been like, like kind of a, an issue here and there. So it's like, well, how do you talk about it and make, make it funny? So the, the, the image of Shaquille O'Neal playing for the Celtics, uh, you know, just I was talking about being past my prime. And I just remember Shaq on the Celtics. And I thought, you know, it was a great for for somebody who used to be used to be better than he is now. So I just took that metaphor and kept building on it. And I just feel it was really wrong of Shaq's teammates to treat him that way. He was a legend. He had accomplished a lot in the game. And sure, if Shaq were to be honest with himself, he would admit that basketball didn't mean as much to him as it once did. There was a time when all Shaq thought about was basketball all day, every day. But not anymore. He was an older man and in a lot of ways wiser. You know, like I think when I was younger, maybe a joke would have stopped after the first line, the second line. But luckily, after 25 years doing comedy now, you try to just keep adding those layers. And this joke kind of took on a life of its own. And, you know, I, I don't want to even like pick it apart so much that it actually ceases to be funny. I mean, I know, but, but I do find what I do on the basketball court on the videos is I break down what's going on in the details. And so I love to actually hear, you know, how you build a joke like that up because, except for that same reason, it's, you know, you almost can kind of continue to mine the funny. Now, is there a moment when you, did you write that? Like, were there too many points that you were making all in a row that you had figured, oh, I have to kind of trim this down and make it a little bit shorter? Or did it just kind of come out perfectly the first time? You know, that was one that kind of kept building. Like I, I came out with maybe uh, like a, a shortened version of what, what you just played. Um, but then I kind of, I found like, it's almost like if you're paying attention, the audience lets you know, like if there's more meat on the bone. So it's like, all right, let me, uh, let me explore. Let me add another line about like his teammates being angry about him. About, you know, like just kind of extend the more you extend it out because it is a metaphor and you're not saying what you're really talking about. It's it just gets funnier and funnier. And also my own emotion behind it of saying, like, I wish, you know, that his teammates could have appreciated, you know, uh, that he did have some good nights, you know, um, so <laughs> just bring, just bringing that, you know, the performance is part of it, too. But it's a fun bit to do because it is so personal. And w what's cool is that it does resonate with so many guys who say to me. Yeah, I'm I'm Shaq on the Celtics too. So that that's been a nice thing when things resonate or maybe allow people and allow couples to laugh about something that it can be you know uh, upsetting at times. And I just think it was very unfair of Shaq's teammates to treat him like that. He he was a legend. He had done a lot in the game. He deserved better. And then if you look back, Shaq had some really good games for the Celtics. Not every game, not every game, but on some nights he looked like the Shaq of old and I just wish his teammates could have appreciated that instead of harping on the nights that he had difficulty performing. I feel for Shaq is what I'm trying to say. Now, did you know right away when you wrote that before you ever performed it that that was gonna be a great bit and really funny? You know, it's funny you say that because you never really know for sure until you say it in front of people. But I did have a sense with that, that it's such a bizarre, I, the thing that I worried about is, is it too much of a niche reference? Like, you know, do people even know, if you're not a basketball fan, do you care about Shaquille O'Neal? 
uh, if you are a basketball fan, how many people remember him on the Celtics. But what I find is, like, Shaq is enough of a cultural touchstone now that they know him, and then just the idea, okay, he's past his prime. Maybe they didn't know he was on the Celtics, but it all comes together that it, it, it works, if people are basketball fans or not. For sure, because I, I was thinking, like, you know, Michael Jordan in Washington could have been another possibility. So w- was yeah. it Shaq always, or did, were there any other possibilities of other uh, washed-up players, like even, like, <laughs> Carmelo Anthony maybe now or somebody like that? You know, it was always Shaq for this bitch just because I think he's such a big guy, too. He's he's like, you know, Superman. He's like the uh, the epitome of a guy who was uh, dominant, you know. So for me, just when I when I wrote the bit, it was always Shaq on the Celtics. Okay, yeah, and that, you're right. And Shaq is just funny. Like, I saw the uh, Uncle Drew movie, and it was good, and he just is innately funny. He's that – and probably doesn't even know he's funny, and he just sort of just is, is funny, so – yeah, yeah, and I think Shaq was the right guy because he is goofy and funny and uh, almost like a, he's larger than life, you know. When Shaq was in his prime, he was the dominant force on the floor, and I'm sure it was easy for him to find shoes that fit his incredibly large feet, but it might not be that easy for you to find the shoes you're looking for, and the internet is crammed full of confusing sites that don't guarantee you get what you ask for. StockX is an even better way to get the hottest new sneakers as they're just hitting the shelves. StockX is a revolutionary new marketplace for buying or selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. And here's the cool part about it. StockX uses the same principles as the stock market to make your purchases by giving you real-time market data for intelligent buying and selling. You'll see exactly how much an item has sold in the past and what it's selling for now. Best of all, StockX has removed the risk from buying and selling online. Total anonymity between buyer and seller. You'll never have to deal directly with a random buyer or seller again. StockX has experts that verify every item, making sure everything you get is 100% authentic. Visit StockX.com slash CoachNick now and you'll see what an incredible platform this is. That's StockX.com slash CoachNick. Now you know. Well, let's talk a little bit about like your your connection to basketball itself, because I don't often uh, run into comedians who you know are into basketball. And so I'm kind of curious what the genesis of that was and like who's your team and who do you like? Yeah, well, you know, uh, there's a lot of us that do. We t- a lot of us comedians talk hoops and even go to games from time to time. Um, for me, I, I've, I grew up playing basketball. I played a little bit of high school basketball um, in Queens, New York. Um, so, yeah, for me, it was just I, I love I love the game. My brother is a coach and coached girls basketball in Connecticut. So he he's a big fan of your show. I mean, I, I'm familiar with the show and, and love it. When I told my brother that I was doing Conan, he was excited. But when I told him I was going on B-Ball Breakdown, he was over the moon. So, you know, <laughs> wow. my family huge into into basketball. My brother especially is into analysis. And as a, a, a former coach, he, yeah, very much into all that stuff. So for me, yeah, I, like it's, as a fan uh, and a comedian, I think my brain just sometimes goes there when I'm writing or, uh, you know, jokes that maybe basketball could be an analogy for uh, or just topics that, maybe make a larger kind of um, larger point that I can use something comedically that I, that I know about in basketball that, that I think will be relatable. So yeah, for me, um, 
like I'm just a huge I'm just a huge fan. So there's points where my brain naturally goes to talking about sports. Well, you know, you mentioned you played a little bit of high school basketball. What kind of you know who would you compare yourself to? What kind of player were you? Like, is there an NBA player now that you were like at that level? Uh, <laughs> not even, I wasn't even like Shaq on the Celtics. I was I was uh, <laughs> I was a kind of a useless um, two guard. Uh, I was a decent, decent shooter. Um, yeah, I was kind of a. Everyone on my team was six one with the same skill set. You know, I played for St. Francis Prep in uh, Fresh Meadows, Queens, and we were all kind of like six foot one guys with uh, minimal abilities, but um, we all happened to go to the same school. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> do you remember? You know, what kind of like remember the offense that you ran? Is that clear? Do you remember like what any kind of like details like that? It was just a lot of kind of like uh, pick and roll, like coming to the oh. the foul line and uh, the big man would come up and yeah, that kind of thing. It was looking back, it was all very basic um, compared to stuff that goes on now. Like the three pointer was hardly used as a weapon. I, you know, I graduated in 1987. So the evolution of the game is pretty staggering, even, you know, like in our in our lifetime. I mean, especially in these last few years, right? Like, I think about, uh, you know, I often think about how coaching, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Coaching kind of, I felt like, in, inhibited the growth of the game for so many years because it was like, if you're big, go down to the blocks. If you're small, do this. You know, like, there were so many coaching doctrines that, like, when I think of guys like Rasheed Wallace or Derek Coleman, uh, guys that clearly had the skill set that could have flourished, you know, but it was really just coaching and, and ingrained thinking that didn't allow the, these guys to do the things they're doing now. Well, you remember the movie Star Trek Four when they come back to Earth uh, during our time? Yeah. And then so Chekhov has a brain injury and they burst into the operating room and Bones is like, what are you doing, man? He's like, well, we have to drill a hole to relieve the pressure. He's like, you don't drill holes in the guy's head. What is this? You know, the medieval times. And I truly <laughs> feel like when I encounter coaches who are still around today are certainly thinking back about what we used to do back then. I feel exactly that way. And I, and I was that coach as a really young coach. I'm about your age. And uh, I can't believe the things that we did. I mean, and I rail about it. I was just on Twitter railing about even running suicides uh, and the notion that you'd waste all this precious time in a practice running a random amount of you know distance sprints under a 30-second time frame instead of actually practicing the skills that would get you better um, and then throw the cardio in there in the drill. Like it, it's, and, and I, people are still yelling at me about the value of this of this notion of like running and punishing the running, it just blows my mind. So I, did you have that kind of practices too, where you're just running sprints all the time? Yeah, that's such a good point. Cause I just flashed back to doing sprints, jumping up and touching the backboard or jumping up and touching the wall. Uh, a lot of our practice was dedicated to that kind of stuff instead of like s skills uh, or <laughs> offensive sets, you know? Yeah. That shooting yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty wild to to think back the level of coaching that we received. Oh, how about this? I had lunch with my with one of my mentors, and we were both lamenting about all the mistakes we made. You know, picture the one. You know, the coach always will complain about the guy who's he doesn't play really hard. He's got a lousy attitude. He's uh, kind of always screwing around in practice, whatever. Well, you know the the. 
the what we would do in the past would be like it'd be even harder on that guy. Get in his face, screaming yeah. and yelling. I'm gonna make your 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 life a living nightmare, and you know what, and all that kind of stuff. When in reality. It's probably the last thing you'd want to do with a kid like that to try and actually reach him and get him to play the way you anywhere near you what you what you want to play right. I mean, it's like that uh, you know that drill sergeant from uh, officer and a gentleman mentality, right? Like uh, you know, it's almost comedy when you really think about it. For sure, for sure, it is. It, it's that archetypical in-your-face drill sergeant that, like you say, not everybody responds to that and. You would think that now, I would, I would assume in most high schools that I could be, I could be wrong that that wouldn't fly anymore. Uh, just, just in terms of interpersonal skills, talking to people that way, but in, also in terms of coaching, what kids are going to respond to or what players are going to going to respond to. So, yeah, hopefully all of that has evolved uh, over the years. And another thing that I think about is uh, with Dirk Nowitzki and stuff like that. You think back to the ways that um, foreign-born players were discussed, right? Like that they're soft or that all they can do is shoot or whatever. So all of these like uh, ingrained ways of thinking that have all fallen by the wayside, like the NBA now is so international. Um, yeah, it's just amazing how I think a lot of the thinking really held the game back for so long. Oh, I agree. And I agree. And it is the coach's fault. There was just not a lot of uh, creativity, a lot of dogma that we're still fighting now to help break through that. Um, are there any coaches in the NBA now that you, was, uh, what's that? I was going to ask, do you think that Don Nelson was the pivotal guy that like changed that uh, thinking in terms of international guys? Oh, uh, probably. I mean, the only problem I feel like Don Nelson in these days might not he was so quirky and odd in a way, the way he coached and did those things. I feel like he never, you know, it didn't take hold in a serious way. They're like, oh, that's just him doing it as opposed to saying, oh, well, that, that's interesting. Maybe we should all do that. So he might right. be the father of it, but I just kind of almost feel like, you know, looking and I wouldn't have known this then, but knowing it and looking back on it now. It just feels like, and for whatever worse, it just seemed like they just sort of, it was a novelty and it was, he, they, no one was ever going to take that that seriously. Now, like Rick Pitino came in and less of the Euro stuff, but certainly the threes and all the things that we see now, uh, yeah. that might have taken a little bit more hold, I think, even though it took forever. But uh, I, I was just kind of curious, are there any coaches right. now in the NBA that you like respond to or that you actually think, uh, you know, are, are worth, uh, you know, that, that you just viscerally respond when you see them on the sidelines? Popovich for sure is a guy that I love uh, on court and off, just like as a as a coach, as a leader, as a thinker, uh, as a kind of a uh, figurehead now, even beyond the NBA. Really, you know, he's kind of more taken on almost like a uh, cultural um, uh, symbolism and and, and um, authority. So I love Pop. Uh, I also love Steve Kerr. I do a bit about him in in my new special. Uh, and I love Steve Kerr, but I, the bit is about how we're all replaceable, you know, and how we can't take ourselves too seriously. And I use him as the example of like, he's a great coach, clearly, but he was replaced by like two different guys. And they were like undefeated <laughs> for one of those stretches. They went to the finals, you know, so it's like, and then I, I finish it off by saying uh, like Aunt Viv on the Fresh Prince. She thought she was irreplaceable. You know, there's plenty of examples of um, people that, you know, as great as you are, you might be replaceable. But Steve Kerr is a guy, to your point, um, that I also love the way he coaches. I love the way he communicates. 
um, doesn't fit into that box, which I also like about the NBA in general, doesn't fit into that box about what you're allowed to talk about or not. Um, yeah, not afraid to jump into societal issues. Uh, I respond to guys like Steve Kerr and, and Popovich. Yeah, you know, I, I just had uh, Coach Kerr on the show uh, a couple of days ago, and that was uh, nice insights to him. So, and what, what you're saying is exactly right. If if you're if you're kind of gleaning that from just watching TV or hearing him speak, I will say that in person, it's it's times ten or twenty more. He really is that guy, and there it's it's pretty uh, uh, impressive. And also, just, you know, very nice of him to, to to come on my show and do that for for me. He didn't, did not have to do that stuff either. So, uh, it just yeah. shows you, you know, what he is like. And and you have a great point though. It's like, yeah, he came back. Uh, after having the team breaking the record, the Bulls' record for wins, and then they lose <laughs> when he comes back. So, um, you know, it's it's it is true where you are and who you are and how that all unfolds. But he's got a couple titles, so I think he's done some a couple of good things. And a guy like him has such a good sense of humor too that, like, I would think that you know, he, he's somebody that would get it. Doesn't take himself too seriously. Um, takes the right thing seriously. So yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, and, and I, I kind of feel like, and you know, I, I'll defer to you as far as you know. It seems like there's a huge uh, space for comedy in coaching, almost to the point where it's necessary. I mean, you don't always have to be a funny guy to you know to be a coach, but it seems like when you, you know, I certainly try to use it, but right, you know what I mean. I feel like that's a great way to communicate, especially the way you do your comedy, because you're able to make a serious point, yeah. even though it's funny. Thanks. Yeah, I do think, yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, everybody responds to humor, whether it's the classroom or a coaching situation or whatever. If you're trying to make a point, if, if people like you and, you're, and they're laughing, you know, they're more likely to uh, to respond. So I but I do think it has to be authentic to who you are, you know, because, you know, players can sniff out if you're trying to be something you're not. Or, or I used to be a teacher. So like students can snoo- sniff out if you're like, you know, if it's inauthentic. So if you're a funny guy and uh, it's true to who you are, I think for sure, you know, like that, that'll come across. And it's, I think back to like Chuck Daly, who was like an old school guy that was kind of like funny with like one liners or whatever. Like he was at, totally at ease with who he was and you knew that was him. Um, but yeah, like I think it's, it's great. And as a fan, just watching like press conferences or whatever, and Steve Kerr is another good example, like guys who can, make it funny it's it's like uh you listen you listen more uh, uh, attentively because they're not giving these robotic mm-hmm. uh, responses you know just mailing it in yeah and i also think that you do need to make a, a serious point that could easily be taken the wrong way or you know hurt a player's feelings you know if you could figure that that key out of to, to be able to communicate it that way where it is sort of funny uh, yeah, you can smooth over a lot of those bumps and make that easier. Uh, I am curious, though, do you feel like maybe in the last couple of years your comedy has changed in tone or theme, you know, based on what's been happening recently? Uh, I would say like, you know, like I said, I've been a comedian for 25 years. So over the that span of time, you know, I've changed as a person, uh, you know, from a 25 year old to an almost 50 year old. So you change. So kind of your comedy reflects that. So I would say, yeah, I've probably become more socially engaged with the world, um, more, you know, you, you just, you have a broader perspective, generally speaking, uh, but also involvement with certain move- movements and activism over these last, I guess, maybe seven years or so, uh, from Occupy Wall Street to Black Lives Matter, um, some of the, you know, the fight for 15 for minimum wage, these different things that I, I've kind of been involved in and out of um, 
yeah, so that can't help but kind of infuse into my comedy somewhat or the perspective, even if it's not overt. But because I try not to, like, I don't want to make it heavy-handed or preachy. Uh, like you, you said earlier, to, if you can make a point that is funny, uh, then people are more receptive to it. Mm-hmm. So my my goal is always to make them laugh. It's not like I'm trying to, you know, I'm not trying to hammer through points. I, I work backwards from what's funny, and if there's a point, that's great. Well, you know, your special is coming out. Where where would we be able to listen to it or, or see it if you wanted to? I'm releasing this with a company called All Things Comedy, which is owned by Bill Burr and Al Madrigal, uh, two comedians and two friends of mine. They uh, started this company so that comedians could own their own content and release it directly to, to fans. So it's a little bit different. They're trying to carve out a space that's, you know, maybe a little different from Netflix where they own the stuff and – uh, comedians don't get as good a deal from them. So, so when Bill and Al approached me to to be the first special that they're putting out through All Things Comedy, uh, I was like really psyched. So, uh, the where people can find it is atcspecials.com. ATC is for All Things Comedy. So atcspecials.com, and uh, you can pre-order it now. It comes out. Uh, I think tomorrow. So your pre-order won't take too long to, to arrive. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll see when we actually drop this. So I'm sure they will be ready to go once uh, they, everyone hears this. And um, well, I just, I'm just kind of curious because we, as we touched upon, you know, certain things that might not uh, be funny normally. Can you give me an example of like a, of a subject that you felt like, oh, this is this is out there. It, it doesn't seem like there'd be comedy, but actually you're able to nail some really great beats and, and make people laugh from it. Uh, well, I, you know, I did some stuff about police brutality that was like, you know, it's kind of murky waters, you know, because when you're at a comedy club, people, you know, they kind of <laughs> want to escape stuff, <laughs> stuff like that, you know. But uh, to me, it's almost like, yeah, you're walking on the, the tightrope a bit um, because like when you're venturing into topics like that, the target becomes smaller. So you have to really you have to hit the target in order for people to laugh. So. I did a bit about uh, police brutality that like kind of just using the analogy of like just because you haven't experienced something doesn't mean that it's not real. Like think of police brutality like um, a Tyler Perry movie. You may have never seen one, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. You know, you're just not not the intended audience, just like brutality. (laughs) So it was kind of like, you know, again, it's you, you have to really because you don't want to make fun of it. You don't want to make fun of any part, you know, the police, you don't want to make fun of uh, people that are are suffering in these instances, but you do want like for me anyway, I want to try to engage with it in a way that, um, that lands on something funny and and true. So yeah, but it's, it's a little bit of a tightrope sometimes. For sure. Well, I guess that begs the question, uh, are you trying to do any material on Kavanaugh Ford thing that's going on right now? Well, you know, I just did Conan last night, and I, I did talk. A, I did one kind of joke about him. But we're seeing it with the Me Too movement: people, you know, behaving badly. Some that are surprising, some not. Some who like beer, some who mix their own drinks, like Cosby. Yeah. If you had told me in the 1990s that between Bill Cosby and Donald Trump one would become president, and one would be going to jail for rape. I would have got that one wrong. 
Well, let's as we wrap up, I thought we could just, you know, let's seal in, seal in our practice with a little, you know, more basketball talk. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. do you have any thoughts on the upcoming season and where we're moving towards and anything, any interesting storylines that have caught your eye? You know, I'm, I'm excited about the NBA is my favorite uh, professional sports league. I just find it to me the most vibrant, the most. I guess like it just changes so much from year to year, like with player movement. Uh, you know, especially this year with LeBron, like the whole, whole balance of power shifts, uh, Kawhi Leonard going to Toronto. So the league is always so fascinating to me. And me personally, as a Knicks fan, uh, I'm excited oh, that I'm they sorry. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm excited that they legitimately look like they're attempting a rebuild for once instead of the usual quick fixes or bringing in the likes of Derrick Rose or somebody like that. Um so yeah, I'm like I'm excited about Kevin Knox. I'm I'm excited about uh, Mitchell Robinson, the second round guy. Uh, I always tend to fall in love with like the uh, the you know the guy who is more of a project. So I'm even more excited about Mitchell Robinson just because it seems like he was this guy that almost was out of nowhere that like didn't play you know uh, left Western Kentucky I think it was um, and looks legit. I mean to me, I know this is a little bit uh, of a stretch, but he looked like a young Kevin Garnett, the way he runs the floor and the way his skill set. I mean, obviously he has a lot of work to do, but uh, I think they might have gotten a steal in, in Robinson. So I'm excited that they got two guys that are potentially, you know, maybe both lottery talents. Well, it sounds like if when we were younger, we would have been going to blows uh, over those Bulls Knicks series. I grew up in Chicago, ah, ah, right? Is that okay. safe to say? Uh, that is safe to say. Yeah, those those were some great years and you talk about the game changing right i mean those were like football games some of those yeah it was pretty crazy and i remember even you know th- those knicks series after the uh, the pistons you know we got replaced by the knicks is for that rivalry uh, i think that's the thing we we're missing we don't have rivalries like that and i do you think that we needed to have it do you think the rivalry is born out of how physical it was or can we now with a cleaner game still get back to that that's a good question i mean i, I think part of it is also uh, longevity of groups of players staying together, which doesn't seem to happen, right? Like key players are always, I guess what makes like somebody like Golden State unique is a guy like uh, Clay Thompson seems content to be where he is, where guys like that typically are like, yeah, I can be the top, I can be the first option. So um, yeah, so it is harder. And I guess the, the big contracts and all that, um, the money's a lot bigger, right? Than certainly the 80s. Uh, yeah, I mean, my, yeah, and then by the '90s it got better. I mean, Michael, I think, made 35 million his last year before they even had all the salary cap rules. But, but you're right. Across the board, you know, a starter is going to make 18 million dollars a year, where it was probably half that, you know, 20 years ago, maybe. Um, yeah. So, so that is a thing too. But I, I just feel like I, I just I wonder what it is exactly because certainly the the physical nature and the fact that fights would break out that would that intensified the rivalry, right? And yeah. now they're all friends with each other in the in the off season, right? And so yeah. you kind of get the sense that it's not uh, a war on the floor. And I, mean, I don't know, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, because I do remember like every game, every games, and maybe I'm not remembering it correctly, but every game seems so heated and hotly contested. Whereas now, am I wrong? Like blowouts seem a lot more frequent where like one team jumps out to a thing and this is the finals or something or conference finals where a team wins by 30 you know and i I don't know again maybe i'm not remembering it right but 
I, I always feel like if somebody jumped ahead or whatever, like there would be a cheap shot thrown or something would change the momentum mm-hmm. so that it, mm-hmm. but now if it looks like it's on the road to a blowout, it's going to be a blowout. Well, it, it kind of, although the argument is that with a three pointer, uh, you, you see these wild swings. So you might be down by a lot and then they come back. So it makes for kind of a, it's the game itself is just, you know, if we were in the 1995 right now and I had a glimpse into the future, we would have been like, what is this? This is like, you're taking three pointers, four possessions in a row, you know, and it's up and down. So, so that's also part of it. So it's a variability has changed so much that it's, I guess in theory, it's more like, it's not as clear who's going to win necessarily, but it also leads to probably a more inconsistent game, right? Where, whereas you always knew Patrick Ewing's going to come down. He's going to get his post-ups. He's going to get his 20 shots a game. Anthony yeah. Mason's going to dribble down and abuse some people, right? Uh, John Starks is going to shoot a bunch of three. And now, uh, and same with the Bulls, and now it's almost like, you know, it just maybe to me it just seems a little more of a, of a random sequence of events and shots and movement that uh, it should be more interesting, Right? Is it more interesting? Do you like the game now, or do you like it better then? Uh, I don't even know that I can say I liked one or the other better. Um, I, I think I appreciate both of them. Um, they, they're different, you know. Like, yeah, I don't, I'm not one who pines for like, yeah, I wish uh, somebody like Oakley would just like, you know, take somebody out or whatever. It was fun to watch at the time, but this, you know, the game as it's evolved is is fascinating and, and great to watch. Um, and as you were talking, I, 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 just the thing of um, who just recently retired, Boris, Boris Diaw flashed into my mind, too, of another guy who, to me, like symbolizes the evolution of the game and probably doesn't get enough credit for what he what he did. Like, because if I think back to like the, the game of what we're talking about, the 80s, whatever, he, he probably would not have been utilized properly in that era. But here's a guy that like, his skill set was perfect for and, and symbolizes the, the beauty of the game and what we're talking about now with big guys doing a lot of things, his passing skills, you know, just the versatility of a big guy. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I say this all the time. Uh, Kevin Durant, 20 years ago, they would have fattened him up and they would have put him on that block and said, don't dribble. Don't shoot. You're just going to get rebounds and, you know, post up. And how lucky is he? Because he's, he's a legit like seven seven one. Like he isn't like a 6'11 dude. Uh, yeah. How lucky he is that he, he he grew up when he did, and they allowed him to do that. Uh, and I kind of want to find out more about that because it's he's right on the cusp of when he was born, when they would have still done that to him, and uh, yeah. and how it didn't happen that way. And so now, yeah, we're now going to be seeing like what Kevin Durant looks like now. That is a center in five six years, right? Like that's what the center of the body's gonna look like, you know, Clint Capella kind of guy, and uh, but with skills. So uh, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy that we that again, like getting back to that conversation before these coaches had these thoughts in their head and it seemed, I guess, to make sense, but it's almost like religion, right? Like somebody wrote down stuff in the Bible at some point, right? And they kind of had to be like, well, how many times should we shake this thing before you say this thing and then do that thing, right? And they're like, how about three? Like, I don't know, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but it's kind of the same thing with basketball fundamentals. For sure, yeah, and and it's also groupthink, right? Like, it's like nobody wants to lose their job either for being the one who comes up with some, like you know, like what Patino did, right? You're, you're, you're putting yourself on a, on a limb. If you're the one who does take a chance and try to do this thing that nobody else is doing, it better, it better work, right? 
Oh, yeah. I, I wish I was a coach now, like a young coach coming up, because I had envisioned this idea of like threes raining down and spread and the whole fun thing. But there was just simply nothing to, to look at first. Although like now we look back, we realize, yeah, Patino did it. It was there. We didn't really realize it. Uh, they did it at LMU back in the, in the late 80s, right? And then Oklahoma did it. Uh, or Oklahoma, Harvey Grant played at Oklahoma or wherever he played. Um, so what I mean, so we it was there. And, you know, it's almost like right in front of us and nobody could quite figure out until until, you know, D'Antoni or whoever it was finally broke through and made it happen. And then they started winning. So interesting stuff, uh, you know, and, and Ted, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, and you know, giving us some insights uh, from a unique perspective. Oh, my pleasure, Nick. Yeah, let's do it again. Uh, great, great to, to meet you and uh, and looking forward to talking more in the future. Yeah, it's great to, to connect with you uh, via Skype, even though you were like about five miles on the road <laughs> right now. So we'll do it in person next time. Um, and also, don't forget, if you want to download and you should his new special, um, it is at atcspecials.com. And by the time we post this, it will be up and ready and fresh to stream. And yeah, the title is Senior Class of Earth. All right, looking forward to it, and uh, thanks so much for coming on. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Ted? I'm in, all the way. 